0: Fellow Knowledge Seekers, I hope you've had a chance to listen to the Waterline Podcast on iTunes or in your Android Podcast app. People ask me all the time, Shane, what's the future look like? Are we going to flourish? Are we are, are we going to drive ourselves to extinction? Are we going to destroy everything? Are we going to create heaven on earth? A big part of that incredibly complicated question is water. Water is absolutely fundamental to life. And knowing what is going on with water, the various technologies, the economics, political, social, behavioral, technological, and environmental aspects of water around the globe is really fundamental to understanding questions like that. And if you guys are into science and learning about things that affect our lives and the world, which I know you are, I believe the Waterline podcast is free. For you I just finished a episode called water for all regulation all about comparing the different regulations in different areas like the Israeli water law passed in 1959 and comparing how their system of, of regulating water compares to California's model of regulating and how we might work together to figure out the best pros and the cons of different systems all around the world. Very, very important stuff. Please check out the Waterline podcast on your Android app and at the iTunes Store. Hey, everybody. Guess who's on Reddit? I am. I had a friend make a subreddit for the Here We Are podcast. And by the way, you can easily find the link at herewearepodcast.com. And uh, it's, if you are unfamiliar with Reddit, like I am, uh, so I'm about to make a fool of myself. Basically, it's very it's a very simple. I just started making my first few posts. Um, what we're doing with the subreddit, post the episode link. And then when people have uh, comments or questions about it, they post it on there and it's it's, a, it's a, a bit of a form and there's up and down votes for various um, uh, posts. And then I will try to reply to everyone's um, posts and comments and questions and all of that and get conversations started each week. So please go to Here We are podcast on Reddit and subscribe to that. Uh, jump in on the conversation. And I will be checking um, many times a week, trying to uh, keep discussions going on there. I think it'll be a, a superior way to have these kinds of discussions rather than the um, the ask, ask a scientist thing that we've been doing through Here We Are uh, Is that's just coming to me? But on Reddit, a whole bunch of other people and other fans are able to respond with their own thoughts, and um, yeah, so check that out, please, and spread the word for me if you're a big Reddit person. I'm brand new to it. I don't know what I'm doing yet, but I am figuring it out, Uh, just like this life, trying to figure it out. Enjoy today's episode, and thank you so much for listening.
1: Are we
0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Here We Are podcast. Today, I have Professor of Marketing at Stanford, Christian Wheeler, is joining me. Hello, Christian. Hey man, how's it going? I'm wonderful. Thanks for coming on the program. Did you have any? Uh, did you have any mixed feelings about uh, about coming on? <laughs> I, I see you did a lot of research with uh, regarding um, uh, mixed feelings and, and um, ambivalence, uh, right?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So a lot of what I study is about how people have conflict between various aspects of their attitudinal representations.
0: Um, Keep going. Explain. uh, So what do you mean by their attitudinal?
2: Well, so the the most basic form is uh, what you call attitudinal ambivalence, right? So you might have positive and negative feelings towards the same target, right? So you might say, Man, I really like Obama. Uh, he's great on all of these other I- these issues, but he's also bad on all of these other issues. And so I have mixed feelings about him. And so right. that's what uh, scientists call attitudinal ambivalence. Um, and it has two different forms. There's one which is the objective part, and so that's just the presence of these positive and negative things in memory and then the other part is uh what they call subjective ambivalence which is the the subjective experience of conflict so i have mixed feelings and i feel a valuative tension and it makes me feel bad having
0: these mixed feelings hmm um so so what uh what studies have you have you done about that i, I how have you um it, like, like, I saw you did some stuff with self esteem and uncertainty, and there's priming people for thinking about the individual rather than the, the collective. Um, so, how, as as someone who has lots of mixed feelings all <laughs> of the time about life, I am uh, I'm a little curious. One one I'm curious about the self esteem um, research because I looked at a, at a little bit of that. Could you talk about that?
2: sure uh so uh, I think you're talking about something slightly different, so this is self esteem and priming work
0: is that right yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, so that's um on how s- subtle influences can change the way uh people behave and the way people feel about themselves um is that the work you're talking about
0: I think so I think it was it was regarding oh man it it was regarding how your your self esteem can make you have more um, ambivalent. Oh, uh, <laughs> so, sometimes the your um, ambivalence can be kind of like a self defense.
2: Oh yeah to, yeah yeah. So that's something different. Yeah. So lots of times we we you want something and you don't yeah. know if you can get it.
0: Yeah. Right. Yeah.
2: Like man, I really want to date that girl, but she's probably gonna turn me down. I don't know. <laughs> right. Or or I really want to I I want to get tenure. And I don't, man, but I don't know if it's going to work out. I think it's going to work out, but maybe it's not. Or I want to get this job or I want to, I want to have this bid on this house accepted or whatever it is. Like there's lots of situations where we want something. I want to
0: have the best comedy science podcast in the world. Yeah. Right. I want it to be
2: so (laughs) badass and it seems like things are going well, but man, I don't know. Like this could be a total train wreck. And so, you know, like, and if it's a train wreck, you're gonna you're gonna feel like a jerk, right? You're gonna feel bad about yourself, like you weren't good enough, yeah, or you didn't yeah. do you didn't do it right. And so, uh, you know, the work on ambivalence, like I said before, like it's uh, subjective amb- ambivalence is a negative thing, right? It doesn't feel good to have this conflicting tension between our evaluative constructs. And so, the literature to date is mostly seemed like it's a negative thing, and 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 research has shown that people avoid it. When they can, we don't want to have mixed feelings about stuff. We want to know what's good, we want to know what's bad. But uh, the point of this project is like, well, I don't don't know that that's always true. That there may be situations when you really want something and you don't know if you can get it. This is one context in which this can happen, Uh, and and you are going to feel bad if you don't get it. And so, as a sort of emotional hedge. You you start cultivating mixed feelings about it. So you say, man, you know, it'd be really awesome if this podcast worked, and I'd you know I'd be the next Joe Rogan or whatever. I'd be yeah. super famous, but you know, podcasts are kind of done anyway. Everybody's done <laughs> it, you know. I'd rather have a TV show anyway. So if this sucks, like I don't really care. Yeah. yeah. And, and so then if it doesn't work out. You feel better about yourself because right, this right. thing is like it wasn't that great anyway. It's like both good and bad.
0: Th- that's like you, you'll guys guys make a lot of statements like that when they're like approaching uh, women. Like they'll go up and hit on a woman, and and then and then the woman like rejects them or whatever. They're like, oh, I didn't want you anyway. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
2: I mean, she's hot, but uh, you know, <laughs> she see your <her> ass. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, right. And so, like, and it works that if you if you have these mixed feelings, you feel better about yourself Uh if you don't get it. But if you do get it, then you feel worse about yourself Uh, because you got this thing that you know now you feel. You already constructed all
0: of the negative things that go along with. God, now I can't leave the house without (laughs) without uh, you know the press wanting to ask me about my podcast (laughs) and stuff. Oh, this is my worst nightmare has come true.
2: Yeah, right. So you know, it's like I don't know. We we compared it to like an insurance policy. That like it's great when it works, but if you don't need it, then you know it's it's costly uh, (laughs) in the
0: end, right? Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, that's a fun metaphor. Um, Huh? I mean, it seems like why why wouldn't that be a more balanced way to live to assess? The negative and pos- positive S. You know, and everyone sa- everyone always says, don't look at life in like black and white. Yeah, yeah. Or whatever. Isn't that kind of, isn't the ambivalence creating like a bit of a gray area? Um, it, I don't know. It, it, I, I would think that it would, uh, I, I would think that it would create like, if not a more balanced life, a more uh, like mindful one or, or maybe help you. Come up with more strategies and more options in life.
2: Yeah, totally. And there, you know, so you can imagine multiple reasons why you might want to know the pros and cons. Like maybe you're considering a, you considering a new TV show, right? And you right. want to know, okay, like this is great. I'm going to have all the support, but there are all these downsides. They want creative control and all this other
0: stuff. And- I, I've like I've been thinking about. Um, I really want to buy a van <laughs> recently. <laughs> I've, been, I've been like I'm, that's been going through my head. I'm like, well. You know, one thing is you have to tell people that you own a van. And that's, that's like the main negative thing about it. Everybody loves vans. What's uh, yeah. negative about <laughs> yeah, that? Yeah. But, but, but it is, I, yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe it's, I can't tell if my, um, if it's inhibiting me from getting, a like, the, the thing, well, there's going to be lower gas mileage, <laughs> but I'll be able to take some naps on the way to my destination. And, and I do like thinking about all the possibilities, but I also feel like I sometimes get a little bit of analysis paralysis where I'll just, like, not make a decision um, because I'm thinking of too many different uh options
2: yeah and sometimes you do that when you when you don't want to make a decision right you're reluctant to pull the trigger and so you just keep seeking more and more information and you keep trying to talk yourself Uh, out of that's my
0: life yeah huh um (laughs) yeah that's um that's interesting so how do you is is there a way to hmm so So, what if you don't want to fall into analysis paralysis, but you want to measure like the pros and cons in life? What's what's the best way to balance those those things?
2: Uh, Well, I I don't know. Uh, This isn't empirically based. I guess it's just me me talking. But I think like you you set a deadline, right? You say like, okay, I'm gonna. The end of this week, I, I know everything I'm going to know about vans, so I'm going to buy the damn van or not. And that's that's it, and I'm going to live with the consequences. Uh, so you have to set that closure point. Right? Yeah,
0: yeah. Hmm. Um, what's what's the work that um, that you did with the priming, like the thinking about the individual versus the collective?
2: Oh yeah, so that was work. Um, looking at uh, how. Uh, self uncertainty makes people susceptible to subtle influences right and so you there's uh what we what we showed there is that uh you know there are different forms of s- selves across different cultures right we didn't invent that idea but in the in the west you know we have this notion of an individual self the stuff that makes us totally different from other people and that's, uh, for most Westerners, what's central to their self-concept, right? Yeah, the we're a beautiful snowflake. Like. Yeah, exactly. You're yeah. unique and special. And that's not true in a lot of Eastern cultures. Um, in a lot of Eastern cultures, it's the, your group identities are more central uh, to your self-concept. And so you're concerned about uh, how well you fit in with important groups. So, you know, what a good family member you are, what a good team member you
0: are, this kind of stuff you're uh you're a very good piece in this important puzzle.
2: Yeah, yeah, right. And and of co- but you know, within each culture there's a lot of individual variation mm-hmm. too. Um but we found that, that people are uh uh more uh susceptible to influence when that central part of the self concept uh is, is under threat. So, when I feel uncertain as a as an individualistic westerner, about my own personal identity and who I am and what I'm all about, um, then I'm more susceptible to subtle influences uh, like primes, um, but uh, not when I'm uh, uncertain about my group identity. Um, but the reverse is true for people who are collectivists or people who come from collectivist cultures. Mm. And so the notion is is that not all, not all self-uncertainty is the same, right? That there are certain... Uh, depending on your cultural orientation, there are different parts of yourself that are more central and therefore make you more uh, inconsistent or subtle, to, or, uh, susceptible to influence.
0: Hmm. How do you test that?
2: Uh, well, the way we test it is that we either uh, get participants from different cultures or we measure their cultural orientation on their number of collectivistic, uh, individualistic scales um and then you prime them with different concepts and then what's uh, an
0: example of a of a concept
2: uh you could prime different traits for example so you could uh, you know there are lots of different priming manipulations that have been used for a long time in social psychology so a standard one is like unscrambling sentences um related that have words embedded in them uh related to a particular trait or a particular characteristic or a particular stereotype mm-hmm. um and uh, and then you can measure their resulting behaviors or the resulting self perceptions um, as a DV.
0: Hmm. Um. All right. Uh, <laughs> how how do you? Um, oh, oh man, I, I made the worst notes for this <laughs> week. I just wrote the word change on it, yeah. and, and I know it has something to do with the ambivalence and how to. Oh man, what was it? Um I might just have to come back to that one. Um all right, so let's just um I'll breeze by that and let's talk about um advocating things and and how how people's uh idea of other people's plasticity yeah. um uh, kind of shapes the uh, how flexible they think others are.
2: Sure. Uh, yeah, so that project we were looking at what makes people advocate, what makes people tell other people about their opinions or try to persuade other people. Um, and one, the approach that we took to that is based on Carol Dweck's work, do you know her work on mm. implicit theories? So she, she's a famous social psychologist at Stanford and, and she has uh, this research on mindsets, which she calls um, uh, incremental or entity mindsets. So, you know, people, there are two types of people in the world. There are people uh, who feel like you can change what you're all about or or people who feel like you can't. So if you're an entity theorist, you think that uh, the traits you have uh, are the traits you have, the abilities you have are the abilities you have, and there's nothing you can do about it, Mm -hmm. you know? So you're born smart or stupid and, uh, you know, tough shit if you were born stupid, there's nothing you can do about that. Um, Work isn't going to fix that. Uh, or if you have an incremental mindset, if you're one of these people, if you're an incremental theorist, you think that hard work can change stuff. And also, you you may have failed that test, but if you failed it, it's not because you're stupid. It's just because you didn't try hard enough. Mm-hmm. Right? So maybe you just need to work harder, and then you can pass the test. And so she has a bunch of work looking at that with different abilities and stuff, showing that. Um, people with incremental theories do better in the face of
0: failure how, how, so how do you so you have people like fill out a questionnaire to determine how where they stand on on this, whether they 're more incremental or um, uh, what 's the other one uh, entity yeah yeah
2: yeah, well, like anything in the universe dealing with people there, there, there are two ways to go about it. one is measuring individual differences, so there's scales that uh, assess this. you can have people fill out questionnaires uh but the other way to get about it is is to measure or to manipulate it and so you can give uh so in her case uh, uh one popular manipulation is you you give people a phony press release right and you say ah you know people used to think that uh, human abilities were fixed in stone uh, but as it turns out human is actually quite plastic and you can change your abilities uh or or the reverse yeah um uh for children you do something similar but a little bit different you know you just tell them that you know th- things can change or not um and, and so you know these things are both there are both individual differences but you can affect it in the, in any given situation and so we took that idea and we didn't use it for abilities or skills or, or things like this but we used it for people's evaluations you might you know you might be the kind of person who says like look you know what you like what you like and you dislike what you dislike, and there's nothing you can do about that. Like, look, you're born, you like anchovies, or you don't like anchovies. There's no amount of wishing that it's different that's going to make you like anchovies or not. It's just the way the world is. That, that'd be an entity theory of attitudes. Or you could say, no, you know what, look, I think about the the stupid stuff I liked as a teenager. I listened to all these terrible bands, and I had wore horrible clothing, and... I, I liked all this dumb stuff. I, I can think about all these attitudes have changed over time. I have an incremental theory of attitudes. Yeah. I think my attitudes are really plastic. They're, they're totally responsive to information. And so you could, you could imagine that these things would have different effects on my, my willingness to advocate.
0: Mm.
2: Right? So on the one hand, if I'm thinking about my own attitudes, I say, man, my own attitudes are fixed in stone. I've, they've never changed. I've hated anchovies my whole life then uh, you know I, I probably feel more certain about those attitudes because I they think they're going to be the same. They've always been the same. They're always going to be the same. And then, So
0: I should tell everyone. I should tell
2: much. everybody because I know, I know for sure what I think, right? <laughs> yeah. and, I, and if you think different from me, you're wrong, right? Because I know, I know the right attitude to have. Uh, but on the other hand, if you're focused on other people... And I know, look, I've talked to you. I've tried to change your opinion. I know your opinion is not going to change. Your opinions are fixed in stone. They've always been the same. They always will be the same. And there's no point in trying to share my opinion with you because what's the point?
0: Yeah, we're never going to uh, see eye to eye on this. So we're never going to see eye to travel.
2: eye on because you're just, you're who you are and that's <laughs> fine. And so what you find is that, that the same belief, the attitudes are fixed and unchangeable, they have these opposite effects on your willingness to advocate, right? That on the one hand, it makes me feel certain about what I think and certainty about what I think makes me more likely to share my attitudes. But on the other hand, if I think about how you're certain and how you're never going to change your attitude, I think you're less persuadable and so that makes me less likely to try to persuade you. Um, And so on average, the net effect of those two things balance each other out. So there's no overall effect and you don't know what the effect is until you dig into the underlying process um but you can you can move it around like if you have an entity theory and I make you think about your own attitudes, then you're gonna be more likely to try to persuade me. but if you're thinking about my attitudes, you're going to be less likely to persuade me, so your focus on yourself as an individual or on other people can have an effect but also the also you can affect it by the way uh you frame it, so if I frame it as something like standing up for your own views, if I frame advocacy as standing up then an entity theory is makes me more likely uh, to try to persuade other people but if i frame it more as a as a dialogue or an exchange of views or an opportunity to learn then you tend to get the opposite effect hmm. uh, that an incremental theory makes me more likely to want to engage in a dialogue or an exchange or an opportunity to learn your attitudes
0: hmm. what about what about like um saying something negative like calling someone like, don't be preachy or something like that. Would Would that have uh, some sort of effect on on how you you know? Because there's there's, I mean, this isn't something you've tested, I guess. But but uh, if, if you say, "Hey, I'm gonna stand up for my," because sometimes I feel this way when I'm like arguing with people on Facebook or whatever. Like, I'm standing up for the. Moral rights of blah blah blah, whatever. Silly story I tell myself, and then, um but then other times I'm like, ah, you sound real preachy right now. <laughs> don't don't tell other people how t- how to behave. Is that is that in the same like vein of of things, or
2: that's a little bit different? But you can imagine framing framing either one of these viewpoints about your own attitudes as either positive or negative, right? Mm. So if you if you feel like at, your attitudes never change, your attitudes are always the same. Like on the one hand that's that's a positive thing, right? You have conviction, uh you have, you know, strong values, you're committed. Those are all positive things, but on the other hand, you could you could frame it in a negative way, right? Like uh you're stubborn. Uh, you're stubborn, you're not open to new information, you're closed-minded. Um, so the same trait can be um, framed in, in different ways, and obviously, you know the the way you the way you frame a given characteristic should uh, affect the likelihood that people are going to embody it.
0: So you know about how to prime these very. Do you know about what what types of people end up falling into these kind of categories naturally? Are there? Are there like political differences? Are there any like gender differences, age differences, anything like that, where where some people are falling into the entity cap uh, or, or crowd, and and um, and other people are falling into the uh, incremental? Yeah.
2: Group? So, so we have some data. This is really preliminary, so don't don't bet anything on this. But we have some preliminary evidence that the Republicans or those with conservative views are more likely to believe that their attitudes are always the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that people's attitudes don't change. Hmm. Um, but more generally, if you look at the social psychological literature, like people with conservative viewpoints think think that things shouldn't change, right? They have less openness to experience and
0: right, less right. openness
2: to alternative viewpoints and this kind of stuff. Hmm.
0: Yeah, everything that was older <laughs> was great. Yeah, we got to get back to that. Yeah. Um, hmm. That that's interesting. So, so if you. So uh, say you wanted to, oh, okay, here's a, here, <laughs> sometimes I'll be uh, on Facebook, I'm I'm just like, here's some joke or whatever, or statement um, about, you know, whatever thing is happening in the news or whatever. Um, usually it's half serious, half not. But if I make a statement, that will get people like very fired up. Where, yeah. Whereas if I'm like, hey, what do you guys think about this? <laughs> That, then people are much um more open in their conversations and much more there's way less like name calling and and that sort of thing on on forums yeah um are there are there ways to prime more of a reasonable conversation uh, like like if you were to um if you were to watch like a political debate if 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 you were um, if you got to give advice on how some of these political debates ran so that it wasn't just like two people yelling at one another what kinds of things can we do to increase more kind of reasonable advocacy and understanding
2: yeah that's a good question I don't know for sure I mean a lot of I think a lot of the political stuff is that we've we have these pretty ossified views of what the other side is like, right? And I don't so know we, what
0: ossified means, uh,
2: actually. <laughs> uh, you know, calcified, hardened, uh, uh, yeah. you know. We we think, you know, those those damn people from the other political party are, are just these bastards. And so, you know, I think part of what makes the political scene so difficult is that people have already, you know, they've decided that there's no possibility for reconciliation and stuff. Hmm. But what you can do is you can't affect... Um, people's own views of themselves and others like through the types of manipulations i said um we also you know we you can give people f- false personality feedback we we have one study where we you know we we embed feedback about the malleability of theirs and others attitudes uh in in a kind of a, a barnum thing so barnum manipulation is like uh it's kind of like what these uh, fortune tellers and stuff do right you tell people some stuff that that everybody thinks is true even though it's like um it's fictitious information, like I say. So some of it's flattery stuff, right? Like you're, you're a very perceptive individual. Yeah, uh, thanks. And, yeah. you know, you're... Yeah, a uh, lot
0: of people say that about me. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and then other stuff is mixed so that it doesn't matter which side is really true. You know, it's true. So it's like, you know, you can um, you can really be uh, be flexible in, in response to your environment, but at the same time, you know, you've exhibited a lot of stability throughout life or whatever. Right. right? Like, yeah, that seems true, no matter who you are. Uh, you know, it's uh, there. Are, you really enjoy at times being around people that you care about, but you often, sometimes, want to be by yourself. Yeah, like,
0: it's like, just horoscopes. <laughs> yeah, it's horoscope stuff.
2: <laughs> and then we embed in there. You know, f- uh, we have them fill out some personality questionnaires, and then you embed in there uh, a manipulation. Um, of their attitude stability. So you say in contrast to other people who tend to be really flaky and they change their attitudes all the time, you have conviction in your attitudes yeah, yeah. and you've exhibited you exhibit a great deal of attitude stability over time. Or, or the reverse, right? In, uh, in contrast to these people who tend to be very closed-minded and unresponsive to information, you can flexibly adapt to your environment and incorporate new information that comes and change your opinions. Um, and that's a way you can simultaneously manipulate both your own perceptions about your own attitudes and, and perceptions of other people's attitudes
0: hmm. I'm I'm so obsessed with the idea um, these days that it's just because there's so much politics and everything on the news that so much of this stuff isn't about actually what's happening with gun violence or wars or financial situation uh, you, you know where uh, what your actual perception of the economy is or your job or whatever else is so much of it is just related to uh, you know uh, people people's varying degrees of openness people's varying degrees of how they perceive others plasticity is and there's just like no more to it Then then those initial things, and then they filter everything else through where they stand on whatever policy or whatever else, and it has really nothing to do with the policy in general. It's just their personality.
2: Oh, yeah. It's totally getting worse, right? Because all of the places people get news now are self-selected, and Facebook's filtering your feed so that you're more likely to see stuff that you agree with, and you're choosing your own partisan media to consume and everything. (laughs) So everybody's living in their own personal echo chamber where they just think the other side is just insane, and they can't possibly understand how someone could you know, at all hold that other viewpoint. It just makes no sense. And from the information they consume, it probably doesn't. Right.
0: Yeah. I <laughs> mean, you can, you can go down like the, you know, I have, I have friends that are way down like the conspiracy tunnel <laughs> and stuff because you can find those, those things on the internet that just, they'll get you. To, and, you know, next thing you know, you're, you're believing in shape shifting lizard people that live under the earth and control the government and media and all that. It, just because you're, you're, you're self-censoring the amount of information that's getting into your brain.
2: Yeah, and then on on the off chance that you happen to encounter something that disagrees with your point of view, there's always that safety net too where they say, you know what, well, you can't trust the media. Right? Those other media sources, they're all lying to you. They're trying to cover up the lizard conspiracy. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, uh, yeah. because you know the government's all in this and the government controls the media. So, I mean, they don't want you to know this stuff. So, that when they tell you you're crazy for believing in the lizards, you know, that's just part of that just proves we're right.
0: It's it, Pretty soon, it's going to be like, um, men will just get their views from like the naked news. You know, <laughs> like, well, I just think the naked news, they're the only ones really telling the truth <laughs> out there. Because you, know? <laughs> you just flash up some titties. Like, you know, just, they make a lot of great, interesting points about <laughs> politics. And, <laughs>
2: it's very compelling. <laughs> very compelling.
0: Um, um so, uh just from. Uh, uh, I don't know. I always get away from people's work sometimes. Just thinking of things in more of a philosophical way. Okay, we we'll uh, talk about whatever. If if you want to, so so say you're someone that goes, you know what? The brain has a lot of these biases, and I had a biased upbringing, and I might have biased genes. I might have a biased environment that I'm in. I want to learn to be more objective and get other people's points of view more and and be a little more understanding. It's so easy to say that actually doing it is so difficult to do like i really like to think of myself as a very open minded person and i rate very highly in like openness and whatnot and the big personality (laughs) indicator and yeah of course and all of that stuff (laughs) but um but i i still i mean i still i i see my biases all over the place you know in watching the news and everything else i i'm often like i'm I'm not informed enough, and I think I'm more informed than I think that I am.
2: Yeah, well, and then, you know, your beliefs are always shaping your perception and interpretation of stuff, too, right? You live in this reality tunnel. And so, you know, not, not even if you're exposed to the same information, you're interpreting that information through your own lens of your own pre existing biases, which is why people can, two people can look at the exact same thing and have two totally different interpretations of what
0: happened.
2: Hmm. Right. I mean, like I readily, I know you're not a big sports fan and stuff, but you see this with sports games and stuff, right? Like, people see totally <laughs> yeah. different fouls and yeah, totally di- the, the, the refs, refs ref, are totally yeah. biased one way or the yeah. other right they're watching the exact same thing they're seeing this stuff in the slow refs all, motion high make definition your team. but you know it's like my <laughs> team always gets screwed uh, yeah. always right and, and and that's just that's once you're forced to consume the information right and so much of this stuff happens before like i can choose which information I'm consuming and choose the people I'm hanging out with and, and all of this. So it's, it's no wonder that everybody thinks they're right all the time. Right. And, and, you know, and people, and oftentimes we don't have conversations with people about this stuff because people get so defensive when their views are challenged that it's just, you know, unpleasant. It's why, you know, you don't talk about politics and religion and stuff like that with your friends. Cause it's just, uh, it's forbidden, right. You know, right, you know you're going right, to end up right. fighting
0: about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, how how does science try to eliminate some of these biases and like like how how in your work do you have to um i mean this this is this is kind of a big part of the idea of the scientific method in general right that you're trying to okay we're we're trying to find the objective realities and not let our subjectivity influence um how we feel about objectivity yeah yeah um what 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 kind of measures do um do you find yourself going through?
2: Yeah, I think it's a huge problem in science. I mean, you know, we have this, uh, there's this uh, philosopher of science popper, and we have this notion of Popperian falsification, which is the idea that if I have some theory at whatever field I'm in, my job is to try to disprove my theory. Right, So I'm constantly trying to tear my theory down, and the less able I'm to do it, uh, the more confidence I have that my theory is true. But most people, scientists, and and me too, for sure, I'm, you know, we do the opposite, right? We're trying to find support for our theories, right? Right? Uh, I, oh man, you know, if if I have mixed results, I'm going to focus on the part that makes my theory seem right because that's what what human nature is. Yeah. But you know, like the uh, an old school debiasing technique uh uh from decades ago is just to consider all of the ways that your viewpoint might be wrong. Hmm. So just to sit there and and consciously generate a list, think about all the possible ways that your viewpoint on this topic might be incorrect and the other side might actually be the correct one. And that actually has a surprisingly large effect hmm. on debiasing people. We don't, we don't want to do that because it's uncomfortable for us.
0: Yeah. I got a, I got into like a bunch of gun debates recently on, on Facebook and hang on, it's all over the news and whatnot. <laughs> so it's easy to get sucked into. But um, it's, it's i've i've had usually you like make some tweet or something like that and you just get yelled at by everyone that's opposed because it's just like such a lightning rod issue for people yeah um but i i had the last time around i had some like thoughtful people that i didn't that came from the other side of the fence and um that just took their time and and like didn't do name calling and and actually explained their points of view Um, really well and and it did it just made me think so much more about exactly I guess I didn't I wasn't consciously aware that I was doing that but just like how many things am I wrong about with this because one I don't know a damn thing about like how guns like actually work like I wouldn't (laughs) be able to operate one or I've fired them (laughs) before with like having someone show me you know but I don't know a damn thing about it um, I don't
2: know that that's the relevant expertise in this issue, but.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, I, I don't know. It's just the idea of, uh, of how challenging it can be just to see things from other uh, points of view. Yeah, it feels I,
2: really good to prop ourselves up and believe that we're right all the time. <laughs> <laughs> feels way better being right than wrong. <laughs> yeah,
0: it sure does.
2: I mean, you know, so a lot of the work I do is on, uh, you know, uncertainty about yourself or uncertainty about your beliefs. And there's a ton of research that I haven't done, but other people have done, that shows that, you know, that's a that's an aversive state. We don't like uncertainty. Uh, and when we feel uncertain about uh, what we're about or what the world's about, we try to we try to rectify that as quickly as possible.
0: Yeah, I... I have a joke in my um in one of my acts that I talk about how because I have more science in this one act of mine um and and I talk about and so because of that it's not like as like there's not like 5 punches per minute or whatever it's it's a little slower it's meant to be a little more thought provoking um and and so i talk about how sometimes because of that as a stand up comic i'm you know you're used to getting like four or five laughs a minute when <laughs> right. you're not you're like ah oh, am i screwing up here and so there's two options either one this this just simply isn't funny enough or two people aren't laughing because it's really thought provoking and they're yeah. thinking about it and it's just so much easier for me to bias my interpretation of it to be like, oh, I'm probably just blowing their minds okay. right now. That's why they're not. Because then I still have the confidence to keep going and yeah. to perform with that. You know. Other otherwise you just fall apart on stage if you don't like tell yourself certain oh, sure. things.
2: Well that's probably true though too, right? It's like so much of comedy now is not just about like rapid fire gags. Like a lot of it's just like social commentary,
0: right? It's going that direction, I feel like. Yeah. I, I mean, it's there's there's less and less of the as time goes by, there's and, and most comedians start out telling jokes and then as they become veterans, they end up usually exploring more of themselves or exploring more of the outer world. Like when I started, I was kind of weird one-liners, like Uh you know, just playing around with words and building people's (laughs) expectations and breaking them. And then after a while you go, but I have all these important thoughts (laughs) that I I need to say.
2: But those long bits are often some of the best bits, you know, like the, I don't know, the Bill Burr-Arnold Schwarzenegger bit or whatever, you (laughs) know, like, And he just says crazy shit. And you're like, wait a minute, pal, right? And then yeah, yeah. There's this long build Louis C.K. does the same thing, right? And then there's just long build up. And then at the end, you're like, all right, that was good. That was worth the
0: wait. <laughs> <laughs> um uh, so how did you get into doing um the getting interested in the stuff that you're working on now?
2: Oh, you know, I don't know, one thing comes from another you know a lot of right. people are really good at having the, these big research agendas you know and they're like five years from now i will have studied this topic and then i'll be transitioning into this other thing or or some people are really good at at, at trend forecasting you know so they're like ah, i think people are going to be studying this in the next five years that's what i'm going to do mm. um but i'm not all good that way it's just for me it's just like one thing comes from another you you finish a project and then you think oh well, what about this this would be interesting or you have new thoughts uh, and so stuff kind of grows organically out of, out of other projects or or a lot of frankly also a lot of stuff comes from students right Students come to me with different ideas and then we we chat about them and we figure out what would be interesting
0: hmm. so how does how does all of your research the the stuff that we 've been talking about how does this apply to marketing
2: uh well that 's a good question i 'm a social psychologist by training yeah uh, and so a lot of it is not super marketing, but it also depends on the, the boundaries of what you call marketing. And I think the people in uh, marketing have different views of this, right? Like there's some people in marketing who think uh, marketing is, is stuff that you can tell companies to do to increase their profits, uh, which is not my view of marketing. Uh, another view of marketing, which is closer to mine, which is that marketing uh, is anything, you know, the, the the particular type of marketing that I do is called consumer behavior. So it's like a psychological orientation towards um understanding uh consumers and so there like anything related to the consumption experience and we're all consuming things constantly every moment consumption could be like reading the news or right right or, right you know um people listening to your podcast are engaging in consumption right and so when you think about it that like uh, d- in my view like all you know most of the things i'm interested in fall under that consumer behavior umbrella hmm.
0: um. um so i saw you did some stuff with um with rating um with with, with people's um, it, it, what was it if people rated something like five stars are kind of all over the place people liked it more was that uh, well, was it's, a, it's, it's other gorgeous? it's
2: other people's ratings so let's, let's see you go so you go on Amazon you can imagine, you know so they give you not just the mean rating but they give you the distribution of ratings mm-hmm. right so you can see how many fives, how many fours, how many threes right so you can see that little bar graph. It's really like a histogram that tells you how many of each type of rating they have. Um and so the idea behind that project is like, okay, so first everybody just gave you means. So obviously higher means means it's a better product. That's pretty straightforward. But do people look at these distributions? And if so, like what inferences do they draw from those distributions? Um if it you know, so you can imagine something that has like uh a mean of three and a half. So it's a pretty good product, it seems like. And and all of the, the ratings are clustered around that three and a half, right? So the, the it has the most four ratings and second most five, and then it tapers off in this long tail over to one, right? Mm. So most people like it. There are a few people who don't like it very much. Or you can imagine the same mean rating, like three and a half, but it comes from a very different distribution, like a U-shaped distribution, right? Where there are lots of ones and lots of fives and nobody in
0: between. Yeah, people love it or hate it.
2: Right, and so the question is like, what what do you what what do you make? Do do people even pay any attention to the shape of those distributions? And if so, like, what what meaning do they draw from it? Um, And so, you know, by definition, those U-shaped distributions are polarizing, right? Some people love it, some people hate it. And then the then the question is like, well, what what do what do people think of polarizing products? And and who likes them, and why do they like them? Because on the one hand, you might imagine that nobody likes them. Mm-hmm. Right there's a strong uh, effect in in the psychological literature called negativity bias, right? That right. we're really sensitive to negative information, and so if you give me three ones and three fives, it's going to be really negative for me because the ones have a stronger influence on me psychologically than the fives. Yeah. Um, but we we took a somewhat different tack in thinking that well, you know, there are a lot of people who who like polarizing products. You know, you imagine like imagine imagine what you learn about somebody who. Uh, likes dogs versus what you learn about somebody who likes snakes. Like everybody likes dogs for the most part, you know. Uh, but snakes—some people really love them, some people really hate them. Yeah. Or you, you know, you listen to like uh hardcore Japanese noise rock, you know? Like, well, you know, a lot of people really hate that, but some people really love that. That tells me more than like what people think about Mozart, right? If I say you learned you like Mozart, like. Yeah, everybody likes Mozart just fine. Right. But Japanese noise death metal, that tells me more. If you like that, I, I feel like I learned something more about you. Right. Right? Or if you like cheddar cheese, uh, yeah, okay, everybody likes cheddar cheese fine. But if you like, you know, really stinky, runny cheese, I feel like I learn a little bit more about yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. Right, so there's something about us saying that we like really polarizing stuff that tells us something about that person. More than that, somebody saying that they like something that a lot of other people like, you know, reasonably well. And so it could be that that those polarizing products, those ones with a lot of ones and a lot of fives and not many in between... Um, are products that people perceive to be really expressive about the type of person that they are Mm. and so as a result they're going to gravitate towards that stuff when they either have high needs for self-expression because they're going to consume that product in a self-expressive context like I'm going to an art gallery opening or something or just because I don't know I I have self-uncertainty I feel like man you know, I'm going through this period in my life I don't know what I'm all about and so you know Japanese death metal here we come (laughs) I have to find myself right Uh and so what we find awesome. is that like if i don't if i have these self expression needs then that's when i like these polarizing products because it makes me feel like i know who i am both uh, you know both telling yeah, me yeah, who yeah. i am and also telling <laughs> you who i
0: am yeah that's awesome
2: yeah and so you know there's a a lot of work you know this is you could consider this part of a, a broader array of work in in consumer behavior some of which i've done and a lot of which other people have done which is called uh you know compensatory consumption which uh-huh. is that we often Consume stuff to compensate for uh, some f- felt inadequacy, right? And yeah. so, like in this case, it's like, wow, well, if you really like Japanese, you know, death metal or something, you, you must be a pretty confident person. I, re- you really know who you are. And and so that's you know compensating for this uncertainty that I have.
0: Right. Um. And Kinda so like when I buy fancy meals when I'm at my breakfast.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Right. You're showing you still have it. Yeah. Right. And so I have this other paper, you know, where you make just people uncertain about a certain dimension. Like I make you doubt your intelligence. You know, oh, you, you think you do. You know, you probably do. This, you know, you do the science podcast because you're not so sure how smart you are. Right. And so you
0: know, something. Yeah. You know, you feel a little over baked, and then you do your
2: science podcast. Cast, and now you're showing everybody how smart you are, right? <laughs> right? Um, but you know, you know, you do find Hey, funny,
0: that- <laughs> a, uh, a little on the nose. <laughs>
2: but you know, you, so oftentimes you find these people who seem the most confident about whatever dimension,
0: yeah, yeah. and
2: really it's just a compensatory behavior, right? That and then it, that by. By buying that Corvette, you know, I'm really revealing that I, I feel like I've lost it as a virile male.
0: <laughs> I've always really thought that you can you can um you, you know a, a lot about a person. You you know what someone's biggest insecurity is by what they lead with. Right. By the mask that they lead with.
2: Totally. You uh, listen to what people talk about and you know like what are what are they compulsively like they can't they can't keep it
0: to themselves. Yeah. That's yeah, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. that's what they're about.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're confident, (laughs) you don't need to be telling everyone about it all the time, huh? Yeah, if you look at some of the most like, it's like it's like a bouncer. Bouncers never like act like they're not picking (laughs) fights. Like they don't need to prove any anyone (laughs) that they're tough. They're just like, yeah, I can just crush your head if I want to. So Yeah. yeah, you know, they're they're not like trying to act like. Oh, I'm gonna get in a fight tonight. I'm gonna kick somebody. You know, where other people that are a little more insecure in that regard will will be. You know, those are the ones people starting fights.
2: Oh, totally. Or same thing with money, right? You look at somebody who's you know recently wealthy, but they still don't feel like they've made it. Like they're always trying to show you how rich they are and yeah, all that stuff. Yeah. You take somebody who's really rich and has been rich for a long time. Like they just you know it's just normal. Yeah, everything they they, uh, to the, prove uh, to you. Like, they
0: don't. They don't like. They don't get dressed up or anything. Yeah. yeah. Like I lived in Malibu for a few years, and those people, people, will be like, "Oh, do I need to like, dress fancy for this restaurant that we're going to?" Like uh, you go in uh, and find find the worst per- dressed person <laughs> in the bar, and that'll be the most wealthy person yeah. in here by yeah. a long shot. Like the person driving the Hummer is like the twenty two year old, like. <laughs> Son of <laughs> some rich person who yeah. still hasn't found his way. Yeah, yeah. Um, hmm. that's interesting. Do you do you do other work in that in that vein at all?
2: Um, yeah. So I have some work on uh, self uncertainty and minority opinion expression. So uh, mm-hmm. here I don't mean like uh, like racial minority or something. I just mean like numerical minority. So uh, another effect of this is like if you feel uncertain about who you are. Um, you're more li- more likely to express an opinion that diverges from the opinion of most other people
0: um so we were talking about before we started recording how I, I I was raised very strictly religious yeah, yeah. and when I was younger i was uh like i didn't i i actually didn't know that people existed in the world that weren't <laughs> religion it was like everyone that i knew had the same thing going on and i didn't i didn't know like what an atheist was or any. like i thought i was like a crazy person <laughs> and then it and then it just like it made me very angry and it was like kind of polarizing for yeah. me yeah yeah so is that
2: so yeah you know when i feel again it's a, it's the same kind of effect right but like when i feel like i don't know who i am i'm going to express opinions that that are, are different from most other people both as a signal to myself and a signal to other people about who i am
0: hmm. um. um all right so so you've Figured out why I'm a rebel. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm learning more about myself from a marketing professor than, <laughs> uh, than, uh, than I have from... I get a lot of free therapy on this <laughs> podcast, but I wasn't expecting this much today. Um, <laughs> what uh, what work... coming? I know you already said that you're not like a, a five-year plan getting in on the next hot trend in <laughs> academia, but yeah. what what stuff do you have coming up that you're, um, excited about exploring?
2: Uh, well, yeah, I don't know. Some of it is, um, work I guess I'm doing with a, a student of mine who's on the job market this year. So academics give her a job. Uh, Stephanie Lynn, she does a lot of work on how people, uh, manage this tension between, um, having your code of virtue so you know we all have like an implicit code of virtue right this stuff that you, for you personally yours is different from mine probably but like there's stuff that you feel like you got to do to be a good person mm-hmm. for some people it's like I got to exercise you know four times a week for some people it's like I can't have any chocolate cake um, for some people it's like I should be volunteering you know some stuff is pretty common across people like we probably shouldn't lie to people we shouldn't steal this kind of stuff right we have a code of virtue and we feel bad when we violate that code, um, but on the other hand, we want to do stuff like eat cake and have beer for lunch and not volunteer and this kind of stuff. Right. So uh, she studies how people uh, maintain this tension, mm. um, and so like one of the projects uh, we're working on together is uh, a phenomenon that you're probably familiar with, uh, but hasn't really been studied, which is this notion of uh, let, let's say you wanna you wanna do something. that's may be a violation of your code, like. Um, it doesn't work as well for guys as it does for women. But, you know, you want to have that chocolate cake for dessert. Uh, or you want to have a drink with lunch. And, you know, maybe it's not a, maybe we shouldn't have a drink for lunch. You could have a drink with dinner, but maybe not lunch. Um, so so how do, I, how do I handle that where I can have that drink at lunch, but I still want to feel good about myself? Um, and the way I can do that is I just encourage you to have a drink with lunch. And if you're having a drink, Then I've set this localized norm where it's like, oh, we're having a drink at lunch. Is you know maybe a, you know celebration lunch, uh, or you know whatever. It's just like we're having at this table. This is what people do. They have beer with lunch, and so by convincing you to do it, then I've set this localized norm, and then I can have the beer and feel good about it. So you see this with desserts all the time. You know, I'm not a. Big sweets fan. It's just not tempting to me. Uh, but people get really mad at me when I don't get dessert after <laughs> dinner. They're like, you know, because there's this negotiation that happens after yeah, dinner, right? Yeah. You're going to get dessert? Yeah, uh, come on, come on, uh, <laughs> come on. If I get it, you'll share it with me, right? We'll, we'll all have dessert. Look, okay, let's, we'll get a couple things for the whole table. Everybody can have a bite. You know, and everybody's trying to play this negotiation game where it's like, you, you can't be the one person at the table eating the cake. Right. That's right, right. that's not acceptable. But if everybody's having a few bites, then where this is the table where we have cake, right? It's fine. Mm. Um and so you know, a lot of people have taken uh social norms to be something like as a given in the in the environment, right? Like um, you know there are norms not to litter or norms to do whatever um, But, you know, what we're doing with this work is showing that, well, actually, like, people often actively shape the social norms in the environment, and they shape them for their own self-interested ends. Mm. And in some ways, like, I might be doing you uh, a disservice um, by making, you know, let's say you're on a diet. I'm going to make you break your diet just so I can break my diet, too, and not feel so bad
0: about it. Yeah. This is why I'm such a big advocate for psychedelics. <laughs> uh, yeah. I just really like psychedelics. <laughs>
2: yeah, everybody should do them, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, that's, that is that's really funny. Um, just, just try to make the environment around you um, as as uh, immoral as you are, <laughs> and then you're and then you're moral as well. Yeah.
2: And so, pay attention. I'm sure you'll see it all the time. You engage in these little social negotiations with people, so that whoever wants to do the the worst thing, you know, will drag you along, <laughs> so that they're no longer the worst. You know, you're tied for worst.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, uh, you got. You just got to have that friend around, yeah. Who's who's so much worse than you are, yeah. That you can pat yourself on the back and still get into some mischief,
2: right? And there's all this research on eating and stuff, showing like people will eat and eat and eat, but they just don't want to be the person who eats the most at the table. You know, they want to be like the second most.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, yeah, look at like Thanksgiving or something like that. Yeah,
2: come on, come on, yeah, have, have have some more turkey. Go <laughs> ahead, have some more.
0: Uh, have some pie. That's terrific. Um, all right, well, uh, yeah, I think that's uh, that's good. Um, thank you, Christian Wheeler, for joining me. Yeah, this was program fun today. This is a lot of fun, and um, and thank you everyone for being curious people and for listening. And I'll talk with you next week. This week's Charity of the Week, brought to you by Christian Wheeler, is...
2: The San Francisco SPCA. uh, It's a fabulous no-kill animal shelter. Um, They're fabulous for a lot of reasons. So first of all, they're a no-kill shelter. Um, But secondly, they uh, have a lot of operational um, execution elements that make them totally different from other uh, animal adoption-based charities. For example, they take in all kinds of sick animals. um, We're at most shelters... Being a sick animal, sadly, is something that uh, that uh, gets you put down. Um, but there, they treat the animals, bring them back to health, and, and get them adopted quickly. Uh, but they also have all kinds of community efforts, uh, such as low-cost spay and neuter programs, such as animal uh, trap and neuter and release programs, and other things such that uh, San Francisco has uh, the lowest uh, feral animal rate of any major city in the United States.
0: That's awesome. Um, scientists love animals, man. They're always plugging um, animal shelters and, and, and that sort of thing. It's, it's uh, <laughs> wonderful. Who doesn't like animals? <laughs> what kind of a monster is listening right now and doesn't want to help? So especially if you're living in the Bay Area, check them out. What was the name again?
2: The San Francisco SPCA.
0: All right. And you can always go to the herewearepodcast.com website to learn more. Thank you for listening. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Also, thank you for reviewing, writing uh, writing me at the HereWeArePodcast.com website, giving feedback, all of that good stuff, sharing with all of your friends. Again, keep spreading the word for me. I think we're reaching a tipping point with this podcast. Got a small, loyal group of followers that have been enthusiastically sharing it with others, and I think we're very close uh, to becoming... Um, a actual, popular, much more popular podcast. Uh, it's a popular podcast already, actually, so thank you. Um, but if we can get a little more popular, that means I'll be able to take the show on the road and do a lot more live episodes. We are a ways off from that, but once we hit a certain number of people, the rest will kind of take care of itself. So please keep on spreading the word for me. And uh, I know many of you enjoy the episodes about psychedelics that we've done so far. Tomorrow, not tomorrow, next week, is a fantastic one uh, with uh, Brad Burgess, who is the communications uh, direct and marketing director for MAPS, the Multidisciplinary Associ- Association of Psychedelic Studies. We have a fantastic conversation about... MDMA and MDA and um, uh, talk a little bit about ayahuasca and uh, a few other things. Some really fascinating, interesting background in history on MDMA and MDA, uh, which I had no idea about and was kind of blown away. So make sure and tune in next week. More on that. And if you're interested in psychedelics, make sure and check out my web schedule. I have many of my shows about psychedelics, A Good Trip with Shane Moss, coming up. I'm, I'll am i be doing it in, um, uh, this week, Lafayette, Louisiana, New Orleans. I'll be doing it in Indianapolis coming up, in Wilmington, in myrtle beach in denton texas and i'm lining up a real big city for the fall all uh all with my psychedelic show more on that soon it is uh coming getting closer and closer to being finalized very very excited so um yeah please keep supporting the show and try to catch me live somewhere Thank you very much. Talk to you soon.
1: Interior. Happening discotheque. Remember when we called clubs (laughs) discotheques? (laughs) LOL. The 70s were crazy. Night. The crowd bustles with young, hot Mexicans who are supposed to be Cuban. And all are dressed in butterfly collared shirts and pants that look like Jinko jeans. And pleated khakis had a really weird baby. (laughs) There's sex in the air. And Poppy wants a whiff.
2: (laughs) 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 Oh, my God. (laughs)
1: Scarface, 22 to 45.
2: (laughs) Like he's a television audience demographic?
1: Devilishly handsome, not even a little bit Italian looking. So get that out of your dumb brain. Walks through the crowd with the confidence of a man who's going on MTV Cribs with the Ying Yang Twins. One day. Does he actually have a scar on his face? Fuck no. Why would he even Why would you even ask that? That's not important. What's important is that he is not at all a problematic stereotype, and that he has come for his cocaine. <laughs>